Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10. If you ever find yourself in a situation in life that is not pleasant, ever find yourself in a situation in life where you really didn't do anything to get there, but, but you're there. And all of a sudden you're dealing with the issues, you're dealing with the frustrations, you're dealing with the pain, you're dealing with the hurt. Well, that's what the scripture reader is going to show us today, how you deal with this, because help is on the way if you just hang on a little bit longer. Now look what the Word of God says in 1 Samuel chapter 11, begin reading with verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite camped up and came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. And Nahash the Ammonite answered and said, On this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes and lay it for a reproach upon all Israel. Now that sounds like a good deal, doesn't it, guys? I'll cut you a break, but you've got to give up your eye, your right eye. That you've still got your left one, so what's your issue? That's the way life is sometimes. When you want to compromise, when you don't want to fully surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you want to quit, when you want to surrender and give in to the enemy, there's always a cost that comes along with it. And the elders of Jabesh said unto them, Give us seven days. I can't believe they're even thinking about it, can you? Give us seven days respite that we might send messengers unto all the coast of Israel, and then if there be no man to save us, we will come out to thee. Nabash must be pretty slow. He's saying, give us seven days, and if we can get some help to whip you, we're not going to do this. And Nahash, listen, then came the messengers of Gibeah of Saul and told the tidings in the ears of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. And behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field, and Saul said, what aileth the people that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. Now, we missed one thing there. Saul was anointed king of Israel. Why is he in the field with a herd of oxen? He knew how to work, didn't he? That's a good word for a politician. Leave the ivory palaces and find a real understanding of work. All right, I'll go on from that one. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and when he heard those tidings, his anger was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coast of Israel by the hands of the messengers, saying, Whoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. And he numbered the, in Bezek the children of Israel. There were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said unto the messengers that came, Thus shall ye say unto the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow, by that time the sun be hot, ye shall have help. Now let me tell you, whatever you're going through, hang on a little longer. You will Father God, we bow before you this morning. I pray, God, that you just give youngs of your Holy Spirit, the empowerment of your Spirit, God, and let your word come forth with power and anointing, Father. I pray, God, that you just even begin ministering even now, God, to hearts that are hurting, to lives that are in pain, to people who are in confusion. God, I pray for the lost, God, that don't know you as their personal Savior, God. They don't know their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They don't have assurance of salvation. If they were to die tonight, they would go to heaven. I pray, God, you draw them by the quickening power of your Spirit. I pray, God, you let the word 
Spirit of God grip their heart, the Spirit of God unleash in their life. Draw them, Father, to this altar. Let them meet you as Savior, Lord, Father. Change them to the uttermost. And God, for those of us who are here who are struggling with things in life, who have pain going on inside us, God, you are the chain breaker, God. Help us, God, to come to you. Help us, God, to yield to you. Help us, God, to trust you. Oh, God, I pray you move with power. God, I pray you move with anointing. God, be glorified this day in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Now, now, if you're going to understand chapter 11, you've got to go back to chapter 10 because in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, we are introduced to Sam, or Saul where, where, where Saul was anointed and appointed king of Israel. It was never God's plan for Israel to have a king. It was never God's plan for Israel to have a king. But the children of Israel, they grew weary of the judges. They grew tired of the way that God was leading them. And they looked around at everybody around them and they said, everybody else has a king. Give us a king. We want a king like everybody else. Do you find the constant temptation of life in the world is that we would be like them? That's the constant challenge. I face it, you face it, and that's what the Israelites were facing. They said, give us a king. And so God, he allows them to have a king. Now hear me, sometimes God allows things into our lives that are not his perfect will. He allows it because we persist. And yes, they knew the blessing of God after that, but they did not know the blessing as God would have had upon them if they had chosen to go his route to begin with. And the same is true of us. We can know the blessings of God, but when we walk in his perfect will, in his perfect way, we know the ultimate blessing and benefit that God has for our lives and so God says I will allow you a king but I'm going to pick him I'm going to choose him I'm going to anoint him I'm going to appoint him and he will lead you and God chose Saul and to begin with Saul was a humble man do you remember he was hiding among the baggage when they were getting ready to appoint him, anoint him as the king of Israel? Saul, he stood head and shoulders taller than everybody else in Israel. And when all of a sudden they, they, they received their king that God had appointed and Samuel anointed by the very word of God, the people were rejoicing, the people were excited, and the people were shouting. Kind of like when a church gets a new pastor for a little while. We get excited. Don't let it wear off real quick, all right, guys? They got excited and they were shouting. Let me ask you a question. What does it take to make you shout who's got to be on the ball team who's got to be driving the race car what does it take to make you shout? how big's the buck got to be what does it take to get you excited to get you stirred up that when it's on the inside of your life got to be released on the outside and it says that the Lord Jesus Christ he is going to descend with a Shout and hear me, guys. There should be something about you if you're a blood-bought child of God where the Spirit of God lives inside of you. There should be something stirring inside your life that causes you to have some excitement about Jesus Christ. And sometimes what happens in my life, and I assume it happens in your life, that God starts moving, God starts working, God starts stirring, and I just can't help it. And I will stop my foot, and I will get excited, and all of a sudden all that stuff on the inside of me is going to come on the outside, and I just let go with a glory to God. What? does it take to get you to shout it's got to be more than the world doesn't it because we can get excited about the world we ought to get excited about Jesus and when he starts stirring inside of us and the people shout but then there were some naysayers if you go back to chapter 10 too and they said how can this man save us we always got naysayers in the house 
We've always got those folks that, that want to cast doubt. We've always got those folks that, 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 that want to cause an issue. We always have those people that want to that cause a stirring that's the wrong way. And, and Man, don't be a naysayer. Don't be a naysayer. And when Saul was anointed and appointed by God himself as the king of Israel, he goes back home and he gets a herd of oxen and he gets into the fields <laughs> and he starts plowing. You know, guys, that's what we do in life. We're plowing. Now, you may be a school teacher, you may be a plumber, you may be a, a milk truck driver or whatever it is that you may be, but you are to be plowing the ground wherever you're going, wherever you live. You're plowing the soil so that the Word of God, the seed of God, can come into that soil and can germinate in somebody's life and they can meet the Savior. He got behind the oxen and he began plowing. And as he began to plow, all of a sudden word comes to him that there's something going on over in Jabesh Gilead. Now Jabesh Gilead, they're, they're a part of the tribe of, of Gad. And if you remember anything about your history of, uh, of the Old Testament, you had two and a half tribes, Gad and Reuben and Manasseh, and I don't remember which is the half of the tribe, but anyway, two and a half of those, they said, we don't want to go all the way into the promised land. We want to stay on this side of the Jordan because the ground is fertile and we've got lots of lots of flocks and herds and we want to stay just over here. You know, I call them border believers. It's people who want to go so far with Jesus Christ but they don't want to do that ultimate step of surrender. It's people who want to go so far with Jesus Christ and be right on the border but they're not totally yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. See, see these people at Jabesh Gilead, they lived a long way off. They lived across the Jordan but they were still a part of the people of God and all of a sudden here they were minding their own business doing their own thing trying in the best way they could to serve the living God and all of a sudden they looked up one day and Nahash the Ammonite he had completely surrounded them and you don't have to live very long before you're going to realize in life the enemy wants to surround you the enemy wants to come upon you and he wants to surround you he wants to violate you he wants to harm you he wants you to stop believing that God has your best interest in mind he wants to get you to the place whereby you just want to say, I just have had enough and I'm just going to quit. I'm going to throw in the towel. The enemy will surround you. Has he surrounded anybody this week? Yeah. He comes at us and he surrounds us and he starts attacking our minds. He starts putting thoughts into our heads and we start chasing those rabbits where those thoughts come into our minds and we start going down trails we should never go about and all of a sudden the doubt and the discouragement and the despair and the defeat, they start overwhelming us and we don't know what to do. But here they were, the people of God surrounded by the enemy. The enemy never fights fair. You don't have to live long to learn that one because he does not want your best, he wants your downfall. He hates you, and he will do what he can to destroy you, to stop you. And what he does is he comes in to separate you even further from the people of God and the place of God. Does that make sense to anybody? Because, you see, when he gets inside your head and he starts spilling these thoughts inside your mind, all of a sudden you start pushing away and you start pulling back. Oh, you still show up for church every now and again, but all of a sudden there's this pulling away, there's this pushing back, and in your mind there's this battle that's raging and you don't know how to handle it. Why? Because the Word of God tells us, teaches us, commands us. We are to take every thought captive to the glory of God. And that which is not of His glory, we need to put it aside. You know, God has made us in such a way where we cannot think two thoughts at at the same time. That's a blessing. 
Now, we might be doing two or three tasks at the same time, but you've got to think one thought at the same time. And then you have to stop and go to another. So how do you take every thought captive? When that junk comes in your mind, how do you take every thought captive? You divert your attention. You look the opposite direction. You start, as I do, singing songs out loud in your car. Because ain't nobody else there going to hear you. But you've got to get your mind disengaged from the direction that it was going into. And I can't do it for you. I struggle in my own life to do it for myself sometimes. Because sometimes I've done chase the rabbit halfway down the field before I go, where am I going? And then I've got to go back and reverse and go back. And I take the thought captive and I reject it in the name of Jesus Christ. And I start singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that save a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I start singing these songs. And if I don't know the words, I just make them up as I go. Singing praise to my Jesus. Because, see, you've got to stop that thinking from going on in your head. And so the men of Jabesh Gilead, they... They were surrounded. All the people of Jabesh Gilead were surrounded. And, and it looked like they didn't have any way out. Maybe that's where you are in life. Maybe you're right now you're sitting there thinking, I don't seem to have a way out, preacher. I don't know what to do, preacher. And it looks like I just might as well give in because, because I don't really know what should take place next. And so the people of Jabesh Gilead, they approached the enemy, they approached Nahash, and they said, we want to make a treaty with you. We want to surrender to you. We want to give things over to you so, so, so that we'll be saved. We want to surrender. Every time we face difficulties in life, we have to make a decision. You have to make a choice. And as a child of God, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, filled by the Holy Spirit of God, given the Word of God for our direction, we are to make choices in keeping and in agreement with what God's Word says. And sometimes, many times, what God's Word says is not going to be the easy way to go. I've been studying the book of Proverbs. And, and, and I found some preacher I like. He's dead. And usually my best preachers are dead preachers. And, 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 and this guy, he died in like the 1980s. He's not, not that dead, but anyway, he's dead. So, so, so he's got this series on the book of Proverbs. And I started listening to this guy. He's got 265 messages on Proverbs. Now, how many chapters are in Proverbs? 31. Where do you get 265 messages out of 31 chapters? I got real bright one day. I thought, I'm going to listen to the last one. He ended at chapter 11. That's 235 messages just through chapter 11. See, see, the book of Proverbs is about wisdom. The book of Proverbs is about you as a child of God having skill in life to live to the will of God, to live to the glory of God. And it says you are to get wisdom at all costs, and you are to mine it like you would mine gold. Anybody ever watch gold miners or what's that name, gold rush, gold diggers, whatever it is? We know what a gold digger is. That ain't what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about gold miners. All right, all right. All right. maybe we got a problem with gold diggers. I don't know. Anyway. That's another sermon. They don't sit back in the recliner, do they? No. They get out there and they work to dig out this gold dust. And God says, you're to work to dig out wisdom. There's 
six words in the Old Testament for wisdom of God. That's another sermon. But, 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 but listen, see, see, when we face hard decisions in life, you have to make decisions in keeping with God's Word. And if you're not in God's Word, God's Word won't be in you. And you won't know the way to go. You won't know the path to take. And so you as a child of God have that responsibility. But the men of Jabesh Gilead said, what are we doing? We, 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 we're going to die. We, we, we just need help. Saul is a brand new king. He's just on the throne. He's not going to have sense to know how to help us. So let's make an agreement. I think I dropped my glasses. No, I didn't. I'm going to need these in a minute. All right. So, so, so they said, we'll, we'll, we'll surrender. You know what I find a lot of times in churches? People want to quit. What are you going to quit to? I mean, I mean Jesus looked at Simon Peter and said, Thou hast the words of eternal life. And Peter said, Where are we going? Where are you going? I don't care what has happened in our life. Where are we going? I was in Ireland 10 years ago preaching in, 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 in different towns in Ireland. I was in the city of Cork, and, and I went to there, and I was preaching to a, to a, in a church that, was, that was, uh, had a missionary from France there who had been there for 40 years. His name was Tony. He was 78 years old. And he and his wife, they had been there for 40 years in Ireland, and I was preaching in their church. Well, the government had come in and taken their church property by, is it eminent domain or something like that? And they paid them for the property. They're 78 years old. They no longer own a building. And so here one day, we go down to the gymnasium, to the, where you work out and do that stuff, whatever we call it now. And, and we go down there, and, and we, we start setting up chairs, and that's where our church is. And the next night, we went down to the Presbyterian Fellowship Hall, and we start setting up chairs, and, and that's where our church was that night. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm 78 years old, Lord, will I still set up chairs? And God took me to task. When do I get too big to set up chairs? When do you get too big to help, to work? And the guy was 78 years old. He was a gypsy, born again, going from location to location. We're setting up chairs. I'll never forget his wife. I can't remember her name, but I'll never forget. She played one of them things you push the keys. What's that called? Accordion. That's how we sang to an accordion. She was 75. You know what most of us say, well, 75, 78 years old, I guess I can retire. I don't want to set up chairs. The men of Jabesh Gilead said, why don't we just quit? Why don't we just stop? Has that been your temptation to quit? Just to stop. I mean, after all, we've, we've had a good run. Let, let's let the younger generation take care of it now. Why do you quit? If he has the words of eternal life, he can. See, see, so they said, we want to surrender. And they have said, all right, line up all your men. And if we're going to surrender, I'm going to gouge out your right eye. Now that doesn't sound real pleasant, does it? You still got your left one? 
you got two. You or I, none of us can afford to live with half the vision. Is it? And sometimes we get so accustomed and accommodated to the world, we don't live with the vision of God, we live with half of the vision. See, in, in this time, all the men of Israel, three times a year, they were required to go to Shiloh. They would meet every year, three times a year. And can you imagine the men of Jabesh and Gilead having surrendered to Nahash and having had the right eye guide gouged out? And, and they show up for this, this meeting, this retreat, whatever you want to call it. And they show up and they're standing there with all the men of Israel. And, and, and one guy looks over at the other and says, you're Jabesh and Gilead, ain't you? How'd you know? Because you're Mark. See, guys, the world and sin leaves a mark on us. And the enemy leaves a mark on us when we surrender. And we may think everything's fine and nobody can pay attention. But guys, there is going to be some type of an issue that takes place that's going to mark you when you choose you want to surrender and you don't want to live by faith. You see, you've got to stand before holy God. You've got to yield yourself to Christ Jesus. Here's what's happening today in America. The enemy has surrounded Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. And he seems to be saying, you ain't going to win, you might as well quit. And all across America, a lot of them are quitting and they're compromising. And they say, well, they don't come to your style of preaching, preacher. They don't like how you do it there, there, preacher. Listen to me. It doesn't matter if they like me or not. You still stand on the Word of God, and I still preach the Word of God because it is the only hope that I have and you have and this country has. You understand that, that, that at some point in life, we have got to learn how to get angry at sin, and we've got to get angry at what sin is doing to us as a people, as a nation, as a country, and, and we've got to stand up and say, that's not right, and I'm not trying to make you mad, I'm not trying to offend you, but that's not right. Are you all familiar with the word Shimitai? Shimitai? If you all read the Harbinger, you may have read the Shimitai. Shimitai means a loosing, a letting go. It happens what happens when, when, when God called the children of Israel. Every seven years they were supposed to release the debts. And every 49 years they had the year of Jubilee. But what happens is there was a Shimitai. There was a releasing of the debt. Can you imagine what would happen in seven years if all our debts were paid? Man, that's glorious for most of us, right? But the one hole in the pocketbook, it ain't glorious to him. It can cause a collapse in your economy when that takes place. But hear me, what took place is God says, this is what you're supposed to do because you're to sow that your trust is in me. And so the children of Israel, they stopped honoring the Sabbath rest. And if you're reading in the book of Chronicles, the reason they went into Babylonian captivity for 70 years is God says, for 490 years you did not honor the Sabbath rest, and therefore I'm going to get my Sabbaths. And for 70 years they were in captivity in Babylon. Do you know how much America parallels Israel? Israel decided that they did not want to live by God's word. Israel decided they wanted to rewrite what morality was. Israel decided they wanted to call evil good and good evil. They wanted to call sin and righteousness the opposite things. That's where America is. And there's going to be a releasing by Almighty God, a shimitai, and we will face what we will face. 
but as a child of God, you can trust Him and you can yield to Him. Because there's either going to be revival or ruin. There's going to be judgment or revival, however you want to call it. There can be both. But there's a releasing. And you need to understand, as a child of God, you have to make choices every single day. And your choices have to be based on what the Word of God says, yielded to what the Word of God says. You can't lower the standards. You've got to pursue holiness. Jabesh Gilead said, give us seven days. Can't even imagine what it considered. Give us seven days. And I'm assuming Nahash is sitting there thinking, Saul's a brand new king. He's not time, got time to get an army together. He already had dissension in the ranks. If you read that story in 1 Samuel chapter 10, he's not going to be able to help them. But so he agrees, I'll give you seven days. And so the men of Jabesh Gilead, they put their heads together and they kill a couple of their guys. They said, you get out of here somehow, some way, and you get down into Israel and you find Saul and you tell him what's going on. You tell them that we're surrounded by the enemy. You tell them that we feel like we being cut off from the people of God. You tell them that we have no hope and if we surrender they're going to gouge out our right eye. If you can help us, help us, let us know. But you go, you go now. And they slip out into the night in the cover and they go down they find their way down into Israel and word gets to Saul and Saul, what's he doing? He's behind the oxen in the field. And when he hears what's going on, I don't know if I understand verse 6 but I believe it. Look what it says in verse 6. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul. Man, isn't that a good thing when the Spirit of God falls upon your life? Isn't that a good thing when God stirs inside you and you? I've seen people do all kinds of stuff when the Spirit of God stirs on their life. How about you? I've seen people shout. I've seen people raise their hand. I've seen people get out their handkerchief and they start waving them. They're not waving surrender. They're waving to the glory of God. I've seen people start doing this right here. I've seen tears rolling down people's face. I've seen people spread out across an altar 75 feet long. I've seen people take off running because they've got to do something and it's just blowing up inside them. I've seen when God's spirit moves, people get excited, people get right, people get stirred by God. So you read verse 6. It says, And the spirit came upon him, and when Saul heard those tidings, his anger was kindled greatly. He got mad. He got to get mad. That's the only thing we have a right to be mad at, angry at, is sin. Because look what the damage it does to lives. I don't know what this county has, what this city has, but where we have been living, we have the number one meth problem in the state of Tennessee. I've had kids who've grown up in my church. One right now, wonderful young man. He's in the state penitentiary. He's got a 15-year sentence. Drugs. We gotta get angry. We gotta stand on the word of God. There's no time to play games taking our kids over here because oh they entertain them, they play with them. You better take them where the word of God is set forth because that's all we got. This is not something that's novel that, that we're trying to be cutesy about. But, but we've got to understand there is a cost, my friends, when we don't realize what the Word of God means to us and we don't stand upon the Word of God yielding our lives completely to what God's Word said. And so here it is, Saul. He hears what's taking place and anger comes into his life and, and, and he's mad at sin. And, and, and as children of God, we've got to get mad at sin and say enough is enough. And he took those oxen that he was behind and he slaughtered them. He sacrificed them. He slew them. And then he said, if you don't show up here and get ready to go into battle to help the men of Jabesh and Gilead, the same thing could happen to you.
He's a brand new king. And he sends that word, you better show up. And the Bible says 330,000 showed up. That's a pretty good number. How'd you like that clicker back there trying to count that number? That ain't gonna work. You got another clicker? No, I'm out my clicker. It says 300,000 from Israel and 30,000 from Judah showed up. What's Judah mean? Praise. You got 10% praising Jesus already. <laughs> and so Saul gets these men and he says to these guys, he says, here's what's going on down in Jabesh Gilead. We got to help. And so he tells a couple of the guys, he says, you go back into Jabesh Gilead and you tell those people who are discouraged, you tell those people who are down, you tell those people who are beaten in and they don't know what to do. You lean forward, you whisper inside their ear and you tell them, hold on a little bit longer. Help is on the way. 